You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming. And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network. All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy because we don't have all the answers. And we will never make you feel like an outsider. Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal Personal check-in. Let's do it. All right. We're back. This is... uh, this is good, my friend. Are you there? We're still I'm over. There. We're still on I'm the phone here. doing this. Oh, good. It's always good to hear your voice. It's good yeah, to hear yours as well. I'm glad voice. to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Now it, it, it is. Has it been ten years? Has it been ten years or like ten it. days? I can't. <laughs> I can't tell. I don't know. <laughs> cannot tell. Oh gosh, I can't tell. Well, at the risk of you saying nothing's changed since the last time I woke up and did the same thing over again, because we're in this still in this COVID business. What has been going on, friend? Let's do our quick check-in before we dive into our incredible topic today and a great, great, great speaker. So anyways, yeah. what's going on? Oh, man. Yeah, I am. I am excited for this conversation and I want to, I'm tempted to, to skip the check-in, but we can't ever do that. You know, we can't, we can't, we can't break, we, we can't it. break protocol. <laughs> we got to honor Tradition. You know, the personal check-in. 100%, 100%. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm doing okay, right? I, I mean, that's, you know, we've talked about this, but it's the same question every time. So I've, I'm trying to find ways to, you know, break up the monotony uh, with our family and life. And I think just try to try to take care of ourselves as, as much as we can in, in each other in this time. There's, there's, there's your work self, right? But then there's your home self and all those lines are so blurry right now. And it's just, it's hard. It's, just, it's exhausting. Also, that's just, that's not even to mention all that's going around societally around you, right? Like it's just, yeah. If you, if you has felt overwhelming recently, I feel like this Zoom fatigue is set in on on the work side, the home side. It's just it's just like there's this fatigue of man. This is whatever newness there was for this is worn off now, and just tired, you know, just tired and yeah, mourning the loss of community and what it used to look like, and you know, it's hard. I was back at ReCity recently and having to like go and make our space socially distant friendly, which basically oh, meant like. Gosh. You know, having seen that space be filled with hundreds of people and like walking in there and, and having to remove 75% of the chairs because they have to be six feet apart, I can envision a person in every chair I'm pulling. And I'm like, man, these are, it's hard. It's like, man, it's, feel, it's, it's a loss. And I feel like I'm still trying to process all of the things we are losing right now. And I don't think there's like this space even to do that. So I, I don't know. That's, that's how I'm doing. That's a messy answer, but I guess that's appropriate because it's a messy time. Sounds about right. Yeah, I, I'm so sad that you had to pull chairs, but that's sort of what we're all trying to figure out. Like, how do you, if we do, when, not if, but when we do come back together in person, you know, what's the best way to do that? So I guess the, right now, the best way to do it is to limit the number of people, but it's better than, you know, nothing. So um glad you're figuring out the ways to do it. We're also doing the same for fall classes around leadership is like, you know, what are the protocols? But what I thought was interesting, you were talking about sort of like just the routines and stuff and just trying to stay healthy and with your family and do the best you can um, with your wife and your little ones. I have been, there's just a lot going on in toxic headlines, Mm. a lot of like self-reflective things I'm having to think about and parenting and stuff. And these days amidst all the other business with COVID and politics and 
So I've taken up yoga, which I used to do on and off years and years ago and have all the stuff. Like you should see all the yoga stuff. I have blocks and a bunch of mats and all the things. And so I pulled all these things out and I just go online for, you know, do the free like 10 minute yoga. I'm not even like going headlong into this. But I found for me that it's been really helpful to just, you know, I'm going to get too super yogi here on everybody, but since setting my <laughs> intentions, right, setting my intentions for the day, really finding quiet space and allowing the world around me to sort of just go away. Like I, I'm, a, I'm allowed to bring some of it in if I want. I'm also allowed to leave it outside. And some days like today in preparation for our talks, I just needed to do that. And so my check-in is a little more, it's not as like, oh, we were, you know, skateboarding down the high, you know, whatever, which one day I probably will do that and bring that to check-in. But today is way more grounded. Like, I, I don't know hmm. if our listeners need that, but for me, I just need to find some, my own, I need to decide that it's okay, that this is my routine and that's hmm. what I'm going to do. And I'm leaving all that stuff outside today because my health and my mental health, especially, and my energy for my kid and my neighbors needs to be high. And that's what I do. So today was hmm. yoga, which was awesome. And literally 15 minutes, that was like 11 minute video. And then I did like a four minute meditation. Well, Maybe our listeners will notice the difference. They'll be like, she's so more pleasant and calm today. Well, knowing you, Jess, as your friend, I know that, you know, just even in conversation with that offline, you, you're always others oriented. And I think that when you are that way, you can almost feel like guilty taking care of yourself. But like, to me, that's where that analogy of the oxygen mask on an airplane comes in, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, of there's a reason that when they do that training that no one listens to, uh, that <laughs> when that, when that mask drops down, they're told before you put it on your child, before you put it on your loved one, you put it on yourself. It feels selfish, but it's really not because if you don't do that, as you try to take care of others around you, if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to pass out. You're not going to make it. And then you're not going to be good to anybody. And so I think that's a, that's a struggle for me too. I can empathize with that. And, and I know that with everything happening right now in the world, it's like these different things that we're talking about on this podcast, it affects us differently. And I think that's why it's like my rules of self-care for myself or when I need to check in and check out, it might look different for you, right? It's not like, oh, yeah. because we're affected differently, which means we need to react differently and we need to make sure that we're we're positioning ourselves to run this race with endurance, which means replenishing ourselves, right? Yeah. For me, that's not going to look like yoga because <laughs> I, I don't, I lack the coordination. I, I cannot do it. I don't know what the blocks are for. I, I, when you were like equipment, I'm like equipment. I thought they're just a mat. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. All kinds of fun little tools that you use for yoga. To make, torture, for people like me who've been out of the game for a while, those blocks help you bend all the way down to the ground. So if you can't get there, you use a block and you can still hold the position just for, just for your knowledge base. Yeah. So real okay. yogis probably don't use blocks. They're like, girl, I've been past blocks for years, but like I'm back in the game. I need a block so I can actually reach the ground. You say yogi and I'm like, yogi bear. Wasn't that a cartoon? <laughs> like, I don't even know. That's, that's yeah. how, that's how yeah. not tapped in I am to, to the yoga world. But I'm excited about this conversation, Jess, you know, for people to, to listen in, we're in for a real treat. So I'm, I'm excited. Let's just dive right into this. All right. Well, I'm so glad that we were able to, as always, it's so nice to be able to catch up with each other. And um, we were saying how anxious we were, like, should we skip the personal check-in so we can get straight to our guests? Because I think for both of us, there's so much around the work that our guest has done nationally and has sort of led in a way that is very special 
to all of us in the philanthropy world, for sure, but in the nonprofit space, and to get really specific, just community building, just as humans, right, to be able to rethink and reframe how we see each other, that it's just fantastic that he's agreed to take some time. I know this is a really busy time for us nationally, and so for him to just take even 30 minutes to talk with us about how he thinks about the world of philanthropy and just communities and people and and how we move is awesome. So without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Dorian Burton to our listeners, who's with Keenan Charitable Trust. Dorian, are you with us? Are you on the call? I am. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome. Hey, Hey, Dorian. We're so glad you're here. Well, we do this personal check-in. And so what I think maybe to kick it off for our listeners, Rob and I have the pleasure of knowing you a little bit more deeply, but if you can just share with our listeners how you are, right? How you are amidst all of this. We're still doing our phone interviews because we're in the middle of this pandemic business and we're trying to keep everyone safe. And then also headlines, there's a lot going on right now. And so just how are you and your family? And then maybe share with the, with our listeners, maybe do your own intro, like what you do in the world of philanthropy. Yeah. So one, thank you guys for having me. Super excited to be here and, and chop it up with you guys. You know, personally, I think I'm well and my family is well. I think we, we know that we're fortunate to, to be able to say that. And so just waking mm-hmm. up and, and trying to operate from a place of gratitude yeah. and just being able to kind of take a deep breath and that my, my kids can do the same. I think knowing that, you know, we're in this space, but also knowing that there's a lot of other folks that are not as well off and that for me, it is not only my mission, but my obligation as I think about my purpose and I think about service to be able to, to think about how do I how do I change somebody's life today? How do I pay it for it? For everything that, that my life has been, I kind of look at every day as a as a bonus day mm. and saying that I shouldn't go to sleep until I've helped somebody. And I think that's how, how folks have operated with me and I've just been real fortunate to have folks in my life like that. And so personally, working from that place of gratitude, professionally, just knowing that the, the world is in a super chaotic time right now, that there's a lot of folks that the, the whole floor is falling out from underneath them, you know, in the in the different states that we're working and seeing seeing the challenges. I mean, it could be our healthcare workers, our first responders not having childcare. It could be mom and dad lost jobs all on the same day. Mm-hmm. It could be there's no food in the house, right? Yeah. Just knowing where other people are at, making sure that, that we're doing our part to try to pull that in, but also recognizing that not taking taking things for granted. And I think for, for me, just being that time to, to slow down, not take things for granted, realize how blessed I am, but also with my blessings, making sure that, that we can push that out to other folks. Mm. Introduction-wise, my name is Dorian Burton. I work at the Keenan Charitable Trust. We are a family foundation that operates in North Carolina or home based in North Carolina. We have four roughly loosely structured program portfolios, arts and culture, higher education, early childhood through that K through twelve space. And I would say our most evolving portfolio is whole community health. And that hmm. can range from anything from affordable housing to the justice system to food security. 98% of our funding roughly goes into four states. So before this, I was on the road quite a bit. And it's been an interesting journey. I think philanthropy stepping into the space has been a very interesting space for mm-hmm. me. And seeing how it operates, I think you, you kind of get to pull a curtain curtain back behind another curtain and start to kind of have an understanding around where, where and how decisions are made. But again, this is a, a, a blessed role to be in. You know, I feel like I, have the, I wake up and I feel like I have the best job in the world mm-hmm. because I do get to help somebody every day. I love that. I love what you said about, you know, how am I going to change someone's life today? That is 
if you can wake up with a purpose statement like that, you are you are living the right life. I mean, that's a good, that's a very good centered space to start with. And as I think about, I love that. I seriously, when we have guests, I take notes, copious notes. And then I highlight the things that are like, this is like, it's like not mantras, but it's like a thing to remind myself. It's a very, that's a strong statement. And as I think about the work at the Keenan Charitable Trust and is a family foundation, this is just Jessica's quick question around what's happening now versus what was happening 30, 40 days, 60 days ago, mm-hmm. I guess, before pandemic. You gave us the buckets that you work in, i.e., you know, you said arts and higher ed and this whole community space, which basically is like all this connective tissue in a community. Mm-hmm. How do you, I mean, what's been going on, man? Like, <laughs> How have you had to think about this differently or change the scale, the magnitude? We all know our country has never seen anything like this where needs overnight exponentially grew. So how are you, what does that look like on a day? I don't even know if it's day to day, but like when you go in the office, like how are you tackling this from your slice of the pie and how do you think about that? I know that question's broad, but you know what Mm. I'm trying to say? Like 60 days ago and now what the heck is Mm. going on? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely know what you're trying to say. So I would say overall, the mission stays the same. I mean, I think yeah. where the trust has, has moved and has started to move is, you know, thinking about how do we get proximate to the communities we're serving? How do we find the tables that are already created in these spaces? You know, where are the assets that are in the community? How do we help to build those up? How do we really become responsive to folks that are in communities mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, leads them to be kind of the heroes and the heroines of their own story? I think that mission, we haven't kind of veered from that mission. And I think if you're doing this work and want to be effective at this work, you have to be proximate to the communities that you're serving. You have to be able to trust the leaders that are on the ground that are doing this work. And so for us, that hasn't changed in the broader scheme of things. It is connecting with those leaders that are on the ground who are doing the work, who are the front lines, and then asking them what they need and how we can be responsive to them. The sector as a whole, and as you look at what what we're facing, you know, as a country, as we're what we're facing globally, this feels like much more of a moving target to me on the day-to-day work, right? And that's what mm-hmm. that's what feels different. You know, and what I mean by that is, I think when you have a natural disaster like an earthquake or a flood or a hurricane, you know how to respond to that. You know what the what the immediate needs are going to be: housing, food, and those things have a defined kind of end date, right? Like they mm-hmm. they start becomes a very terrible situation, then you start to rebuild. We're talking about COVID. It doesn't. It doesn't have an end date, right? You don't have mm. a vaccine. You don't. You don't know what the long-term effects are going to be around that. And so, I think it forces us to think about things in two ways. So, first is what are the immediate needs? How do we get food to folks? How do we think about jobs? How do we think about housing? How do we make sure that folks are safe and healthy, whatever that means right now? The second part of that is thinking about what happens upstream. Um, mm knowing that there's going to be the now needs, but there's going to be a whole other set of needs in a year, in two years. Mm. As we start to define what normal is and what a new normal is. And I think there's an opportunity in all that chaotic space to think about how to serve people in a different way. Because when I think about old normal, old normal wasn't working for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. There's a very clear system that has been put in place to disenfranchise communities and not to serve folks well. And I think as you get into the situation with COVID, those inequalities become much more pronounced. 
There's a very clear about who has access to health care, who has access to food, who has access to schools and devices that they can take care of their kids, who has access to child care, and then who doesn't, right? And I think those become more pronounced in a time of crisis. And because we're locked in kind of this long-term time of crisis, those inequalities are very pronounced. And you're going to see what you're seeing, and I think you're going to see it in much deeper and, and harder ways, people are suffering. And so... Part of our job, and as I see it for, for now, is to think about what, what do we need to do now? What do we need to do upstream? And as we think about those upstream type of opportunities and, and being able to serve people, how do we reform, change, introduce new systems to be able to do that? Hmm. That's, that's well said. And I think that I love that question, what happens upstream? Because I think that's yeah. so important. And I feel like right now it has to be a both and of immediate response and asking questions that we might not feel like we have the capacity to ask, but we can't afford not to, which is what are going to be the needs in one to two years, five years, 10 years down the road? Because to your point, Dorian, the, the normal, yeah, I think we need to call out, like when we say, let's get back to normal, like the old normal was not working for a lot of people. And I think that in many ways, we should, we should want a whole lot more for our communities than getting back to normal because there was an inequity and injustice. I mean, you, you co-authored a piece in the Stanford Social Innovation Review in 2017 about, if you haven't heard, if you're listening in, you haven't read this article, please, like, Google it today before you go to bed. Read, uh, you co-authored it with, uh, with Brian C.B. Barnes, Shifting Philanthropy from Charity to Justice. And if there was a better title for an article, I've never, I've never seen one. I mean, that, that, is, that says it all right there. And in it, you outline seven questions that every philanthropist should consider in their analysis, this was, you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, you've already touched on some of those points here, valuing existing leadership in the community, getting proximate to those you serve, but also things you haven't mentioned yet, like understanding the historical factors that underlie the issues you're aiming to tackle. Do you value smaller organizations? Is your organization accountable to driving systems level change? And so we don't have time to really give that article justice other than please just go read it and, and sit with it and ask yourselves those questions. But what I want to ask you, Dorian, is fast forward three and a half years later, you're looking back on that article that you wrote. I want to ask you, and I know it might be hard to see it not through the lens of COVID, and that's okay if it's a, if it's a COVID you know, lens response because that's the world we're living in right now. But what has changed since the time of you wrote that article in philanthropy? What hasn't? And then how can philanthropy become more just from this point moving forward? I think I always try to work from a place of hope. For me personally, one of the things that as I get deeper into this work, I've become very clear about making sure that I don't divorce my leadership from my faith hmm. and the things that I'm tasked to do. I think if you can wake up and find a, a reason to be discouraged every day, and I think you can wake up and you can turn the news on and find a reason to be mad, to be scared, and a reason to, to feel kind of hopeless in that. And I think as I continue to, to dive into this work, understanding purpose, understanding that you can't say I'm going to gonna tuck my faith, you know, I'm going to pray in the morning, I'm going to tuck that under my bed, then go to work, and then I'll, I'll open that back up when I get home. And so what I started to do is is making sure that I'm bringing that purpose with me every day. I bring my faith with me every day as I think about where God has placed me, uh, why he's placed me there, and understanding, like, you know, this concept around kind of this audience of one, right? Mm -hmm. um, and saying, I'm going to wake up and, and try to do something to help somebody every day. But I'm also going to think about how do I please God? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I talked about that as much before when I came into to this work or that I as I as I thought about what we're stepping into. 
so I, I always try to work from that place of hope to get back to to kind of your question and, and always that hopeful place. I think that things have have changed or have started to change. You're starting to see more diversity in the folks that are, are leading different philanthropic institutions. You're starting to see the conversation and some of the narratives change and move to a place that's asset based. I think when I first came into this space, it was a lot of older white men who were kind of at the helm of the conversation. And it's not a, there's nothing wrong with older white men. <laughs> but as you think through the communities that we're serving, there has to be a diverse perspective uh, mm-hmm. that is not only at the table, but that is leading the table. And so one of the things I, I give you an example, and I write and we talk about this is that when you're at these organizations and these philanthropic institutions, you have organizations that are predominantly white making decisions for communities that are predominantly of color. So if you have an organization that is 100% white or 90% white making a decision for a community that's 100% black, in no other space will you find the reverse, right? Mm. You would never find a, a, a organization that was 100% black making decisions for a community that was 100% white. Mm. And so that is something I think we have to be cognizant about in this work. The other piece is that there was folks that were very divorced from the communities that they were trying to serve. And so what you had was folks that were trying to be very helpful in whatever way that they thought that they could be helpful, have an impact in whatever way they thought that they could have an impact. But it was all kind of framed in this very deficit-based perspective that Hmm. communities didn't have any assets as opposed to when you go in communities, you never you're never starting from zero, right? There's always somebody that's doing great work there. Um, hmm. They're doing great work long before we decided that we wanted to be there. Any place that Keenan works, there was somebody on the ground that was running an amazing program or that was was serving the community in a way that was having an impact. And I don't know that philanthropy in in the current state always appreciates that. And hmm. so you see what we were saying, like we were rewarding people that I think were telling the worst stories the best about the communities that we serve. Right. And that you would get a grant proposal and you get and it's like people would have to tell the worst stories possible about the communities that they serve to get money. Uh, And that's a flawed system. Uh, And so wherever inequality that you were trying to solve for, you were effectively perpetuating that inequality just through the process of Mm. uh, trying to get money there. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, you saw huge kind of disparities in the way that money was distributed. So that would be from leaders of color or organizations that were led by leaders of color to organizations that were, were not led by leaders of color. There was huge funding disparities. So things that we were even trying to solve for on the ground, you know, we were perpetuating in our own funding. And so those were things that we needed to address. It could be something as little as when we put out our, our funding application, one of the questions that we asked was, what was the problem that you're trying to solve? Well, if you started off with what the problem is you're trying to solve, then that's how you're going to address and look at the community uh, as a problem. And we had to change that. And we changed that to what do you aspire the community to be? That slight reframing of that of that question, I think, leads to a very different answer. Mm. And so trying to trying to push those things, and I think, really move to a place that we're getting from charity to justice. Mm. You know, charity really makes people feel good around around cocktail hour, I think justice is about righting a wrong. Mm. And you have to understand where and where those wrongs come from, right? So we do work, we'll do some work in affordable housing. We do, I mean, we do work in, in a lot of different spaces. It's like you can't talk about affordable housing without talking about redlining, mm. right? You can't have that conversation. You can't talk about what's happened in the community uh, without talking about urban renewal, 
and what the effects of that were. Because I think if you try to divorce the historical context by which these inequalities exist, you can think a community is inherently deficient. And that's not mm-hmm. true at all. Mm-hmm. There's been amazing things happening in black communities for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Right? You talk about Black Wall Street, both in Tulsa and here in Durham. You talk about our HBCUs. You talk about the amazing work that's happening in communities for such a long time and how that work has not only not been recognized, but purposefully sabotaged in a lot of cases mm-hmm. and why we are where we are. And I, I can't even say that that is a, a past thing. You know, that's thing that, that's actively happening. <laughs> and so we need to be thoughtful about that. And I'll follow there. I, I hope I got to some of your question around in, in, in my rambling. So, yeah, no, you got there. I think mm. <laughs> you uh, you actually brought up a lot of um, some visual things for me and some other questions. So I'm glad you sort of put this around this journey for you. But the one thing that was very clear to me is this reframing, the sort of the traditional way philanthropy has been laid out um, and is set up, the framing of that around the problems of the community and even in reading, you know, the piece that you you all put together talks about how does it feel to be a problem, right? Like any of our listeners, how does it feel to be a problem? You feel that that's so personal and so negative and it takes you out of the game because you feel like I'm not a problem. I add value. There's a reason for the work that I though there's a purpose for me. Just like your purpose, Dorian. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. how many, you know, what can I do to change someone's life today? Like what is, everybody wakes up feeling like there's some value or we hope that there it's in there, that spark is there to then be reframed as a problem. And and then to think about when you're talking about going after the grants, right. And having to compete for the worst situation, the worst problem in this case, it made me feel like it made me think of hunger games. I don't know. I just, it made me think Mm. of like the whole competition around Hunger Games where communities had to almost be in competition with each other for the greatest amount of funding. And for philanthropy to sort of have that bent to it, again, this is my perspective. I'd love your opinion on that, Dorian, but just it's sort of a frightening place that we sort of need to come out of if we want our communities who do have that inherent leadership and are doing incredible work. You bring up Black Wall Street and others, just that's that's there. It's there, period. There's no sort of like additional conversation that needs to go around that. It's happening. And how can we complement that through philanthropic efforts? If I had a question, my question would be after now I went on a ramble, is you also, and I love this, we're all people of faith on this call, when we talk about you leading with hope and faith, when you are in your prayer and petition in the morning and you are talking to God about the work that you do every day, what is the thing you're talking to God about that you feel is in the way that you're working with him on? Like you're the obstacle, the thing that you're saying, you know what, mm-hmm. this is, this is the thing right now. And I need you, if we're going to move the ball here, this is the thing you put before him that gets yeah. sort of in the way of what you just laid out. I, mean, I think there's always obstacles. There's a lot of challenges. I think the first one is always yourself, at least for mm-hmm. me. And I think, I don't think people talk about that enough. Wake up Mm -hmm. and you see the enormity of the issues. Am I good enough to do this? Am I the person to change? Why why me? You know, you come into the office and you're not two different people. So you can't be personal and professional. Mm -hmm. You know, am I I good enough to do this? And I think that first thing is you you pray for, for that humility and you pray for that strength in those reflective moments. You know, do I have the strength to be who you want me to be today? Uh, and to lead in the way that you want me to lead. 
So you pray for that. So that's the first obstacle. I think the first obstacle is, is always so. Now we can talk about strategy and everything else, but if you mm-hmm. don't sit down with yourself and think about what does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to wake up and, and have something to say and, and to believe that you can you can make a difference? So the first one is always self. I think the second one is is that spirit of hope. Going back to the news, I think we live in a very contrarian society and that's getting worse. It's a space where we always want to clap back at each other. We always have something negative to say about one another. There's a, a mounting frustration and I get why, but I've come to believe that, you know, as we think about values and we think about faith, we have to change the way that we start to look at each other and the way that we start to value each other. Hmm. What are those ways that we're alike? What are those ways that God imagined us all to be and how we think about those interactions? So my work is really different in that I can be in an urban space one day, like in the middle of a big city doing work there. But then I can also be in a rural space that is, mm-hmm. it looks very different. It can be in the, you know, in the Appalachian Mountains where we're talking about a community of 30 or 40 and it's all, all working white, like white poverty, you know, mm-hmm. and those things look very different. And there's some very different assumptions that I think you get in walking into different environments like that. And so you, you have to kind of be forced in, in a way that I, I know there might be some different racial feelings, but I also know that like you, you got kids and your kids ain't eat today. And so regardless of how you feel about me, I got to make sure that that's the goal today. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about the other stuff and we can get to that, but we got to make sure your kids is all right. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to that whole thing around audience of one, mm-hmm. because if I can stay in that purpose and I can stay in that mode, then I'm not going to let some of those feelings or ego or those things get in the way of what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not perfect mm. at it. Uh, mm. You have those days where it's like, I'm not doing this no more. You know, you got those days where you just want to, you want to fight, <laughs> like fight, mm. fight. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, so you're not perfect. Those are things I work on. Those are things I pray for. I pray for that strength. And I pray mostly around, around hope because again, you can, you can get in a space where you get very disenchanted with everybody. And it, it, it can be discouraging. And so you got to get over, what am I going to do this morning? As And what am I purpose to do? I'm good enough to do it. God has, has placed it on me, and with him I can do it. And then the second piece is maintaining that, that hope that we can get to that space. And also knowing that you're not going to get there alone, right? Mm. It's going to take folks yeah. like you, Jasmine, and, and like you, Rob, on the phone for us to come together and have not only that conversation, but how do we move to action together? Um, mm-hmm. you can't do it all alone. You know, if you think about kind of it as a painting, you have a small piece to paint, but you're not going to be able to finish it by yourself. you got to bring the other artists along and, and, into that and, and figure out, you know, what does that mean for us to create something together? Mm-hmm. Man, I, I love, I so I love everything about how you answered that question, Dorian. I mean, Jess, Jess knows me well enough to know that when given an opportunity to look outward and talk about the problems without you look introspectively and say, it starts with me. It starts with my own heart. I'm in a storm, but I'm going to look first to where, where's my anchor? Like, I, I got to be anchored in this work. Where, where is my hope coming from? Uh, and I think we all have to do that same work and, because we're not going to be any good to anybody if we're not centered on the things of ultimate value as we move forward on this long, messy road toward justice. I just really think that that was beautifully said. And there's not, I think that's a gift to the people who are listening to hear you answer the way you did and ask themselves, what, what does that look like in my life? especially for those who maybe already the, the spark of justice is already burning in their hearts and their souls and in their actions. But, but man, they got to they gotta do that introspective work on this journey if they're going to last. And especially the storm is real right now with what's happening in our communities 
you know, we're not just talking about COVID either. You know, it's just the storms are real and they've been real a long time. Yeah, I, I would say is, you know, I think one of the things that I continue to push is, is like, you know, we know the things that we need to do. It comes yeah. to the space of, do we have the will to actually do it? Yeah. And I think we, when you wake up in the morning, don't make excuses for yourself. Don't make excuses not to do it. Don't make excuses not to do the work, whether that's with yourself and with others. I think we get into this different kind of concepts around justice and what justice means. I think John Rawls, he said, you know, when you think about a just society that you could wake up if everything was equal and you, you died today, you wouldn't care about who you woke up coming back as. Mm-hmm. If you had to come back as, you know, a black male or you had to come back as a Hispanic trans kid, you wouldn't care because it would be equal. Mm-hmm. It would be fair and understanding what justice actually is. And I think that is something that we struggle with. You know, it's you have people that are very well intentioned and you want folks to do well. But then it comes back into, I want you to do well, but I don't want you to do as well as my kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that we really have to try to talk about, because I think that there's a choice around maintaining privilege. There's a choice to, to be able to say that I, I'm going to stay in this space and I'm, I'm not really going to try to make things equal. And I think that that choice will always necessitate the need for others to survive, right? And survive by any means by, yeah. by any means necessary, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, if you, if you put me back into spaces that are, or neighborhoods that I've come from, where I'm not going to let my kids go hungry, right? Regardless of what that means, yeah. right? Just like you wouldn't let your kids go hungry. That's right. Okay. And so we need to be really thoughtful around that. And we need to be thoughtful about when we turn on the news and, and that we put people into this space where they are forced to survive every day and they're in survival mode every day. That you have the tension around having to wake up and wonder where your next meal is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And I know what that's like. That is something that we have to be very cognizant about in this work. You know, we know what to do. Do we have the will to do it? And are we okay with giving up privilege? Mm-hmm. Um and just going back to what you said before, philanthropy creates a, a very similar condition in that we put folks into kind of this fishbowl and say, you got to fight for resources, which is kind of a microcosm of the larger issue around, like, we put people in a situation and say, you got to fight for resources. Right. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no reason that people shouldn't be eating in our communities. There's enough food. There's no reason that people shouldn't have shelter. There's no reason that people shouldn't have access to a quality education. There's no mm-hmm. reason for that. Right. But we choose we choose to live in a space and not do what it needs to do to, to make it fair and make it that space where like, hey, I don't care how I come back. If I was to die today, I, w- I would be comfortable coming back as whoever, um, mm-hmm. because I know it would be a fair and just society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did sort of sit on some of the things we're talking about today. Just in general, it's a it's a topic that I think for our listeners, this has been one of the more clear and focused discussions on how to live your life in a way that has, and that's not even a lens. You said very clearly, we know what we need to do. Do we have, you said, do we have the will to do it? We all know that. We all know what it is. But this is so clear and focused, I think, for our listeners they're now saying, I think they're saying, okay, I'm going to read my minds of our listeners. I think there's been a lot of aha moments around this. You gave some incredible examples, and that last one especially around if you died and came back. And if the world was truly just, you wouldn't care who you came back as. That's a mm. very thoughtful exercise. Period. Mm. And we need more of that, like thoughtful exercises. Now, a lot of us are like, let's go act, let's go do. But so many of us need to actually sit with like, where are you on this? On yeah. this planet. 
like for real, for real. Mm-hmm. And and even within our black community, we need to be like, yo, where are you on this? For real, where does it hit the road on your personal willingness to step into equity for real? Like Rob and I talk about what we were willing to give up. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice for equity and for equality within our communities? What are you willing to do? I just find this all just, it's such a good conversation for our listeners, Dorian. What would you want us to leave us with? In addition to all this, this incredible, like thought leadership, what, what do you want to leave our listeners with? How can they, what's the one tangible thing that you want them to do? What, what would be that one tangible thing that you might share with our listeners that would help them think about justice more clearly or move the needle toward justice generally? The one thing I would think, there's one thing, there's a few things that are wrapped up in it. I think one of them is think about what you invest in in your own house, okay. uh, what you invest in your house for to be safe, to be healthy, to make sure that your kids have the education that they need, to make sure that you have the type of health care that you need that you make sure the lights are on every day. Hmm. And then think about how we change that investment when we're talking about communities, communities that systems have not served well. And I say systems have not served well because I think that's the real issue. Hmm. So we'll go into a community and say, well, if I just invest in third grade reading scores or third grade reading and literacy, that all of a sudden I end poverty, when that's not the same investment that we would make in our own house. Now, while that is extremely important and education is foundational to everything that we do, we need to start making the same type of investments in communities that we make in our own families. And that's what I say, like, we know what to do. You know, you know, when you go home that, you know, your job is going to make sure that your bills are paid, that the schools that you send your kids to, that those are going to be good schools and they're going to be safe and they're going to be able to learn there. You know that if you get sick, that you have health care to rely on, you know, for the most part that you live in a house in a space that you're that you're protected and that you're safe. And so we need to make those same type of comprehensive investments in communities. Hmm. We need to be thinking about not just the kid. We need to be thinking about who they're going home to and how do we support them? And how do we support hmm. families in, in much more comprehensive ways? The families look very different now, right? So it could be a grandma, it could be yeah. You know, and we need to we need to be really thoughtful around that. I think about legacy a lot and what does that mean? When you wake up and I'm talking about having those morning conversations with myself, am I deserving of a legacy? And what type of legacy do I want to leave? People have to realize that you have a choice to make every morning about what that legacy is. And that even if you don't feel like you're deserving one, you're going to leave one anyways. There's, mm. You don't have a choice whether you're going to leave one now. Mm. Whether you leave a good one or a bad one, that's up to you. And that's the choice that you have to make every day. And then I think the last thing is, you know, I said I leave by my, my faith for folks who, who believe or who don't believe. But thinking about the values and thinking about, you know, for me is how can I be the church? What's my ministry every day? How do I walk by faith? How do I reconcile the things that I'm not good at, the things that I'm insecure about, the things that I worry about in my own leadership or the places that I feel insufficient? There's those things that all the things from my past that I bring, right? Good and bad. What does that mean? And how does that prepare me for what I'm what I'm supposed to do? And so making sure that you come out and that you are the church every day. And if you don't walk into to be that, that same type of belief, how do you make sure that you are having an impact on somebody else's life every day? And I think that those are one and the same to me. When you walk past somebody in the street, uh, hello, how are you valuing people in the same way? And so for anybody who is doing this work, again, making sure that you value them as much as you value yourself and that it's going to start with you no matter what you do. 
Mm-hmm. Man, Dory, uh, we're grateful for you, man. This has been a powerful conversation, and uh, I just am grateful for the ways that you think about these things, the way that you're willing to show up to share them with us, uh, just for your authenticity and, and your vulnerability here to lead with the personal. It feels like you're it's like feels like you're preaching, but in a way that gets us to, to look inward, right? Where we're all just saying, "Hey, what does that look like for me?" Let's just have, let's have honest conversations, and I, and I appreciate your honesty in this conversation because I think honesty begets honesty. And just grateful, grateful for you and for how you are. You're walk. You're, you're on this journey with us, man. Um, oh, we're, man. We appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you guys too. I think you, you can't be effective if you're not authentic. If you don't wake up into yourself and you you fighting in your own armor. So I appreciate you guys. You guys are on the ground actually doing the work. I'm happy to support it in whatever way I can. But again, as leaders like you, that get me excited, but also that keep me hopeful and just let you know that you're not in the in the battle by yourself. Thank you, yeah. Dorian. Can well, I can man. I just say I just want to say one thing to you, Dorian. I don't. I'm sure you you maybe you realize this, but the fact that you lead with such incredible humility, I, you and I know you're not. We're not perfect, but that you do bring humility to your role. And I know our listeners are like, he's in a pretty big role, and yet you absolutely have a posture of service and servant leadership. And I love leadership, so I'm in that world. I just, I want you to know that I appreciate it. And I think that it's very, unfortunately, it's far too unique in the spaces in which you work and that you're able to lead that way. Continue that, my friend, because it does inspire people to take a different posture in the way that they approach their work. And I think that the more people that can lean into that space, what you're doing and how you do it will be one far more effective and just have a greater impact overall. So mm. I just wanted to encourage you with that, my friend, because I'm, uh, I'm moved by that. I'm moved by that today. Mm. I appreciate you. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, Dorian. All right. Take care. You guys have a good one. All right. Well, I mean, I don't know if we took a, mm. took a poll. I mean, that was just like, it was like off the, off the clap meter, whatever. If they had a little clap meter, it would be off the charts. That was so good. Yeah. You know, our listeners probably don't know that we don't, we don't prep. I mean, we, we, we share questions in advance so they know kind of where we're going with it, but we don't engage in long discussions in advance. We kind of just go in and have a very authentic conversation. And I, I so appreciated, like I just said, the, um, just the humility and authenticity that, that he was able to, to just display today. And it is such a great example, I think, of how you can do this work and do it at a level that to the nation, right? He's written up at Stanford and he's all these things. He's very much a young and up and coming sort of legacy player in this game. And yet you would never really know that because he he's so authentic. I wrote so many quotes down. I can't even like keep up with all the things he was saying. He just, I was furiously writing notes and language that he used and phrases that he used that triggered me emotionally around the work that I do and even just how I'm parenting. And just, it was really, I just, I'm going on and on, but I just thought, wow, he, he really nailed it around what we're trying to accomplish here with this podcast. I'm grateful Mm -hmm. that he agreed to join us today. What were your thoughts? Yeah. The vulnerability. And every time I talk to Dorian, I just, I don't know. It's in the way he leads with what's going on inside of himself when he does not have to do that. He does not have to let that take that mask off and let that Mm -hmm. armor down and just tell you 
about his insecurities and how he questions whether he's the right man for his job and his own weakness. To me, that is truly what leadership is. And so it's just inspiring. to It's like a breath of fresh air when you talk to someone that isn't telling you what he thinks you want to hear, but he's actually telling you what he's really thinking and who he is as a person. It's refreshing and it's unique and it shouldn't be, but often it is that you run across a leader like that, that is that authentic. And it gives me hope. It gives me hope because I think that, that he's doing that work, that there are other leaders like that out there doing that work. It gives me hope that we can actually, I don't know, accomplish his vision of justice for our communities when we have people like him doing, doing what he's doing. Yep, I think that's right. And he leads with hope. We should lead with hope. That might even just be some of the takeaway, right? I mean, he gave us great practicals. We have to sort of change and reframe the way we, well, he said we have choices, right? You can wake up and decide mm-hmm. this is going to be the worst day ever. The situation outside our windows is the worst ever, blah, blah, blah. Or you can say, no, today I'm making a choice that I'm going to be a gift to the people that are around me. I'm going to take the assets that I do have and do something positive with them, right? There's all of those levers that we pull. We pull them. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that's a very simple approach. And much of what we talked about today was simple in the sense of it makes sense to us. But it's a willingness, and he he touched on that more than once. Are we mm. willing? Yeah, we know it. We know it needs to be done, but do we have the will to do it? Yeah. To me, that's why I think it's not divorced from his authenticity, and also and also this connection. We talk about being holistic all the time on this podcast, but where he brought it was another level of he wants to make sure not to divorce his leadership from his faith because his faith is what gives him purpose and hope and allows him to as he pursues holistic or his term, whole community health, he's making sure to bring his whole self in that pursuit. And that's, right. that's good for me to hear because, you know, I, I'm a person driven by my faith, as I know you are too, Justin. Like, we can't check part of ourselves at the door in this pursuit. We need to show up with our whole selves. And that might be not be something that's shared by other people. That's okay. We can still lock arms with people who have come from a different faith perspective or no faith perspective at all to pursue common goals. But, like, we need to be our whole self and not try to only have part of ourselves show up in pursuit of wholeness for our communities, because that just doesn't, that's not going to make any sense. Yeah, right. Well, and it's fake. It's not, it's not that's true. That's right. It, it's not true. It's not authentic. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I love yeah. the question he asked of, how do we find the tables that have already been created, and how do we build them up? And to me, like, man, is there a more powerful way to, like, to ask that question and land the plane? How do we empower them, like you said, to be the heroes and heroines of their own stories in our communities? That hits the nail on the head. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's great. That's it. That's great. it. And maybe our listeners, another thing they can do is listen to it again. Listen to yeah. it one more time. Yeah. You know, honestly, that way. might be the best show up moment is just show up again and hit hit play again. Because I, I don't know what else to say at this point other than. <laughs> yeah. You know, there it is. Listen and repeat. Well, Friend, as always, these are defining moments. It's always so good to be with you in this sort of journey that we're taking. This is a good one. So mm. appreciate you and looking forward to the next one. We're going to continue yeah. the discussion on philanthropy yep. from the business vantage point, which I think will be really interesting for our listeners to think about how does the business world see this work and what strides are they making? How do they think about it, frankly? Mm. and. Um, so I'm excited about that. We'll have Creighton Blackwell with Coastal Credit Union on, who's a partner of ours and friend. 
um, to help. Season finale. We'll be landing the plane. Oh, that's right. That's our season finale. So, so keep showing up. Keep showing up with us one more time. Yeah, that'll be good. Appreciate you, Jess. All right, friend. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Just, a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network in partnership with ReCity and Coastal Credit Union. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review. Many thanks to DJ P-Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 